CC Online family. My hope is that you've been enjoying the worship thus far. I have a word that I believe is an in-season word for us. Would you join me in the place of prayer as I prep to talk to you all? So, Lord, we thank you that we get this awesome privilege to sit at your feet, to learn, to grow, to glean, and become more like you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, if you've been trekking with us through our online services or in person on the weekends, you know we've been kind of going through a, a series, if you will, on emotional health and, and, and even the importance of gratitude and what that does for your emotional health. We, we took some time last week to celebrate these water baptisms, but now in the same spirit or the same mindset, I do think there's an important part or an important question I should say that we are at times going to wrestle with if we're going to be emotionally whole and mature in our journey with the Lord. And that question is, why, God? Why, God? You see, I think it's important even as we're going and we see the holidays before us, we see Thanksgiving coming up and Christmas coming up, and those are often celebratory times. But I think if there's aspects in our heart or questions in our mind that can come up as we reflect on this past year or two, like, why God? Why God? And when I say, why God, you're going, well, what do you mean by that? Well, specifically, why God moments are when God doesn't meet our expectation, when when we feel let down by God, when when he's functioning in a way that doesn't make sense. Often we, we have that question when we experience loss, loss like the loss of a loved one or the loss of a job or the, the loss of an experience that we may have thought we were going to have and that experience no longer comes. We have these pauses, if you will, and we have these why God moments. Why? And this is not a new sentiment. This is not something that just comes up in the 2000s where we're questioning what God is doing when he's not meeting our expectation. We find all through scripture, there's men and women who have come to God asking why in some way, shape, or form, asking why, Lord, why are you allowing this to happen? Why are you not doing what I think you should be doing? And I want to unpack a passage where Jesus runs into three different people who are wrestling, not maybe with the same exact question, but it's definitely the same sentiment on Why, God? The passage that comes to mind is in John 11. And Jesus is on his way to Judea because he has some business to take care of with Lazarus, who at the time his his body passes away. And we're going to see the interaction as he's on his way with Lazarus's two sisters. And let's see how Jesus interacts with his first sister 
on his way into the village in Judea on her why God moment, John 11, 20 through 27. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God would give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Christ, the son of God, who's come into the world. I'll stop there. The way Jesus responds to Martha's why God moment, I capture it like this. He reframes our perspective. He reframes our perspective. This is the same Martha that, that you see in Luke 10, 38 through 42, that Jesus had to rebuke or correct lovingly because when he was there and in their presence, she was busy working and, and get, trying to get things together while it says scripture says Mary chose the wiser thing to worship at his feet. This is that same Martha. So he has relationship with them. He's journeyed with them. And, and as soon as she sees him at, his, at a distance, knowing that her brother died four days prior, we see that she's wrestling with this sense of Jesus, what are you doing? You see it very clear in verse 21. She says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In essence, I know your track record, Jesus. I've seen the miraculous function through you. I've seen how you work for others. I've seen you heal. I've seen you do a ton of things. So I know you had the power to do something about it. And I think when we hit those why God moments, I want you to get into the human fabric of Martha that I think connects with our hearts is this. Man, Lord, the tough part is I know you an all-powerful God and you could have done something about my disappointment. You could do something about my pain. And for some reason, you chose not to in this moment. That's what Martha was thinking when she first walked up on him with that statement. If you were here, my brother would not have died. Now, Jesus responds, but he doesn't respond in a way we think he would. Though he affirms, I'm going to raise your brother, she's assuming he means in the end times, in the eschatological sense, I'll raise him up. But he doesn't. He reframes her perspective. What do I mean? He tells Martha right on the spot. He goes, Martha, I need you to see something. Though your brother died, and though I see you're in pain, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? From the naked eye, it almost seems like, did Jesus just ignore 
what she was going through or her question or her concern? And the answer is no. He, he affirms that your disappointment, but he reframes her back to what it's all about. And I think this is what he's trying to say in that moment that I think he wants us to get when we're in our why God moments, when he's not responding the way we think he should or the way we think we would do if we were him. What he's trying to say is, listen, Martha, I am the essence of life. The fact that Lazarus encountered me, the fact that you encountered me, you've experienced a life and a life that is abundant. In essence, Martha, you can make a decision right now. What if that unmet pain or that unmet expectation isn't for you to just wallow in? And yes, we're going to see in a moment that he gets your pain. But what if it's to be a springboard for intimacy with him, that the very sense of our, our being and our longing and our existence in life is not to just just exist and be here but to experience God for ourselves and he's actually saying in that why God moment is, is is Martha I need you to get this that if you experience me if you encountered me on this side of the heavens you have encountered life and a full life you have encountered life and a life that's eternal you have encountered a life that will now have meaning. Why? Because you encountered me. So he reframes her perspective on the centrality of his personhood because at the end of the day, ladies and gentlemen, life is all about this person, Jesus. Earlier this year, I had to eulogize a person in their early 30s who battled cancer for over a decade. And it was a young woman who lived a life that was full and anchored in Jesus. She was leaving behind two children, 12 and 8 years old, and a husband. And, and when I spoke to her husband, he leaned in and gave me perspective on what the last days of her life were like. He said, Pastor Lionel, not only did it seem as the cancer got worse, she was more involved in prayer groups and she was doing chaplaincy visits and I heard stories from others. They would go to encourage her and she was there encouraging them while she was, her body was wasting away. But he said there was something about her that though her body was waning and it was deteriorating, her intimacy with God was growing. And this is what the husband said, I quote, he says, it seemed that she was fighting her cancer for over a decade. She grew more more and more eye to eye with Jesus. And I think that young lady that I eulogized, she got it. Ernwell McManus, he captures a quote that I think contextualizes what I mean. He says, many of us are trying to add days to our life instead of adding life to our days. And what Jesus is trying to tell Martha, I'm the resurrection, I'm the life. If you know me and you've encountered me, you already have a full life. And so that unmet expectation, that why God expectation you may have can very be the springboard to get to know a God who loves you like never before. 
And so I think we need to submit ourselves to having our perspective reframed to say, hey, I may not have everything together. God may not be meeting all the expectations I have on him, but thank the Lord that I have Jesus himself because in that I have life. But it's not this imbalanced perspective Because again, I'm saying, how does Jesus respond to these moments? That was one way. He responds to Martha in a way where he anchors her her in himself again. But in John 11, 32 through 36, now he encounters Mary as he works, walks closer to the home where Lazarus will be. And John 11, 32 through 36 reads, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Let me pause there. That sounds familiar to you? Who did that sound like? Martha's same sentiment. If you, not, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. My second answer to The question, how does God respond to our why God moments? Not only does he reframe our perspective and anchor us in the gospel, but he recognizes our pain. I want you to see that that Mary and Martha may have been talking. They're sisters. Their brother Lazarus is dying, and they use the same language when they encounter Jesus. So I wonder if they were stumbling over the same thing, like, man, why is Jesus not coming to do something about Lazarus? Why is he not raising our brother from the dead? Why is it that I've seen him do great things for other people, and he's not doing it for me? And they look Jesus in the eye. And say, man, you, you could have done something about this. But notice the shift. J- Jesus doesn't anchor Mary again in the centrality of who he is. It says he listened. And then this, the shortest verse in scripture, it says, Jesus wept. He cried. He leaned in. There was no corrective measure in that. He simply, and his humanity was affected by the death of Lazarus and what they were experiencing. He's filled with compassion. He's filled with love so he can sense what was going on, stirring up. And so he, he's moved and it says Jesus wept. Now, can I, can I just be honest with you? In my own understanding of scripture, this doesn't make sense to me. You say, why? Because we know in the cat's out the bag early in the text that he is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And there's a place for that. And that's my third and final point in a moment. I'll get there. But if we know that Jesus is going to do that, then why is he crying? 
If he knew the plan, why is Jesus feeling it the way he is? And I think it's for us to recognize that though God may have a plan and though God knows all the purpose, I know he wants us to know he's a God that can relate to our brokenness. He can relate to our discouragement. He can relate to our pain. So often we keep God at a distance. We have this perspective of God as a stoic God with no emotions and no feelings. But I think this is a reminder reminder to us that yes Jesus wept in essence yes God can feel and there's something about just somebody coming alongside of you in that time where you feel broken and hurt this ministry of presence you may feel alone you may feel like no one gets you and I don't know what your community around you is like I don't know if you have a shoulder to lean on but I do know this I don't want to simply be esoteric you serve a God who is always there with open arms who can feel that very thing that's frustrating your soul that very pregnancy that you feel like man I can't get pregnant it's not working he's there that very loss you feel like man this person that I love slipped into eternity he's there I just want to remind you today that God is with you Jesus wept he is in those moments that you feel allow him to be there in those moments with you my own life When my wife and I were trying to get pregnant for years, two years. And when we finally got pregnant, we were elated thinking, God, you finally heard our cry. And then we miscarry just a few weeks after we find out. My bride yet out a wail that was so gut-wrenching that I could feel the disappointment, the why, God, what in the world happened? Listen, and it was in that moment, me as a husband, I knew the only thing I could do in that moment was not come up with a pithy statement or give some theological treaties on why God allows certain things to happen. All I could do is be there and hold her, and we cried together. And all I'm saying to you is that there's something to be said about the ministry of presence and and Jesus is modeling this to Mary and those that were surrounding in that moment in such an authentic way that people around said, man, look how Jesus loved that guy. I want you to know that there's no other belief system that has a God that leaves his royal robes in heaven, clothes himself in human flesh, incarnate him, God with us, comes along, experiences our weakness, our pain, our brokenness, lives a perfect life, gets whipped and lashed and, and beat and crucified for no other reason than just being God and walking in his authority, who lived a sinless life. And you're saying, well, why are you going to the, all the details of the gospel? Because listen, he goes through all that, resurrects on a third, and yes, he's in his glory, but the reason why I share it is because we serve a God of a different fabric. He, he not only just knows your pain because he's at a far off, he can see it and feel it, he lived through your pain. 
He lived through feeling rejected. He lived through feeling forgotten at times, and yet he's still there with us. So I'm just here to remind you today why God moments. It helps reframe our perspective. Life is all about him in the first place. And then also we're reminded that Jesus, he's weeping with us. He's in it with us because he recognizes our pain. And there's something to be said about that texture of a God that recognizes our pain. And that's what he shows. Mary in that moment. But then there's this third and final encounter where God runs into this last person and that last person is Lazarus. John 11, 41 through 44 captures it. It says, so they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing there, that they may believe that you sent me. Verse 43, when he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. My third and final answer to how God responds to why God moments, he revives what's dead. What do I mean? From my vantage point, I often wonder what's going on in Lazarus's head when he's on his deathbed. Not only is his sisters feeling this disappointment, that, that this Jesus can come and do something for me. But we see Lazarus, he's the one with the ailment. He's the one where his body's wasting away. And I often wonder sometimes that Lazarus feel abandoned himself. Like, man, I've been rolling with Jesus, man. I followed him. I believe, I've been believing he's the Christ. I believe this is, he's, he's from God. I believe he is who he says he is. And, and he's not doing something for me. He's allowing me to die. And I wonder if he heard the conversations between his sisters and really just broke down like, man, God, you're leaving me out to dry. What's going on? And then as you see, he, he slips into eternity and dies. So I wonder sometimes, and the Bible's silent, and I'm not going to try to read into to it, but I wonder if Lazarus died with a broken heart. Thinking that he was forgotten by Jesus himself. But nevertheless, it's not about what we think God's going to do. It's what God has in mind in his infinite wisdom. In his infinite wisdom at this time, he decides he wants to raise Lazarus from the dead. And then there's that, that powerful statement when he sees Lazarus, they roll the tomb back. He says, Lazarus, come out. One quaint Puritan writer put it like this. He said, if Jesus had not named Lazarus when he shouted, the whole cemetery would have emptied. That's the kind of authority of the God we serve. 
He, he's saying if, if he didn't name Lazarus just that, if when he said come out, the, all the dead would arose. Why? Because we serve a God that has the power to revive what seems dead to you, what seems gone to you, that dream that you feel like it's never going to be met. This is the same God that indeed can revive that thing. This is the same God that can do that. And yes, sometimes we need to reframe our perspective, anchor ourselves on the gospel. And sometimes we definitely need to rest assured that he, he understands our pain and he leans in on it but I want you to know there's also another route sometimes God decides to revive what's dead that marriage that you think is brittle and it's just going to crumble down and there's no hope God can revive that that kid that's reckless and he's living whatever way he wants to live though you taught him better God can revive that I want you to know that God is in the business of still bringing dead things to life and it's not a one-time deal this is one of the ways he responds to our why God moments too often we threw in the towel and God didn't do it yet. Too often we forget that this is the same God that can make all things new. And I love the way it occurs in this passage. I don't want to over-spiritualize the text, but there's two things that happens when, when Jesus is speaking to them and Lazarus comes out and he's there and, and, and he's present. He says this, he goes, hey, Take off his grave clothes. I wonder why they could have said anything. In my mind, if Jesus really, you know, this miraculous God, he could have busted out and just went, I'm out of here. You know, Lazarus comes out looking like an Avenger Iron Man, just going floating above everybody else. It doesn't come out like that. When he, when he wakes him up, when he revives this Lazarus, he says, hey, take off his grave clothes. In essence, the community around him helped him get in alignment with the life that he had. In essence, there was these grave clothes you can't wear. Here's what I want to tell you. Again, not over-spiritualizing, but I, there's something that I do want to remind you of. If you're going to revive what's dead, we need to take off our old clothes our old habits our old perspectives and you can clothe yourself differently in fact the apostle Paul alludes to this kind of imagery in Colossians 3 12 through 14 he says therefore as God's chosen people holy and dearly loved clothe yourselves with compassion kindness humility gentleness and patience bear with each other and forgive one another if anyone has a grievance against someone forgive as the lord forgave you but get this in verse 14 and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity and what i'm trying to tell you if god is going to revive some things in your life you need to take off some junk some old concerns habits perspectives and throw on what paul just highlighted Throw on love, throw on compassion, throw on this sense of commitment to the Lord afresh and watch what he does when we take off those old clothes. And I would like to say this as well. Notice that Lazarus couldn't do it himself. He did it with his community. Jesus tasked the community to help disrobe the dead clothes that was on Lazarus and to be free. It's the same way in life. If we're going to revive what's dead in our lives, sometimes we need, the, we need community. We need folks in our circle that remind us of who we are and whose we are. 
We need individuals in our circle that will speak life over you when you feel so discouraged and so torn and so broken. We need individuals in our circle that recenter us and remind us that God is not through with us yet, that the fact we still have breath in our lungs, there's still hope. Dr. King talks about how his heart and his passion was revived through community. You may have heard the story before, but it's so refreshing to my soul. During the height of the Alabama bus boycott movement, Dr. King couldn't take it anymore. He was getting discouraged. People were still boycotting the buses, but he was tired. They weren't making the changes in the legislation he thought was going to go in place. And there was this woman in her 70s by the name of Mother Pollard who would walk miles to work. Miles because of the bus boycott. Reporters got a hold of her and saw her commitment to the movement. So as, as Dr. King's commitment was waning, he looks over the Mother Pollard and the reporter's there with a mic in her face and, and says, hey, Mother Pollard, what's going on? How do you do? How do you go miles? Are you tired? And he looks to see how she answers. And she looks at the reporter and says, my feet is tired, but my soul keeps going on. Dr. King says when he heard that statement, it charged something up in him to go, you know what? I'm going to keep going on. And sure enough, the Alabama bus boycott was successful. We learn about it, but I just want to remind you, sometimes to revive that passion in you, to revive what's dead in you, you need to get around community to remind you of what God is going to do in you and through you. It was the poet Naima Peniman who talks about this gift of community. This is what Lazarus had around him to disrobe him. She says, instead of digging its roots deep, and solitary into the earth, the oak tree grows its roots wide and interlocks with other oak trees in the surrounding area, and you can't bring down a hundred oak trees bound beneath the soil. Why am I sharing this with you as I come to a close? When we're in those why God moments, we need to be bound with some folks, interlocked with some folks that help us navigate it the way you see Lazarus has this dependency on the community. But I just want us to remember, wherever you are, God has not forgotten you. He knows your plight. He knows your ailment. And again, as long as you have breath in your lungs, God can do something about it. Don't ever count them out. But in those why God moments, the three principles I wanted to leave you with today was he reframes our perspective, he recognizes our pain, and he revives what's dead. I want to pray with you. Maybe you've been in a place where you feel like, man, I'm, I wanted to throw in the towel, man, I'm I'm tired. God hasn't been meeting my need. He hasn't been meeting my expectation. I just want to pray a prayer of God's nearness to you. 
a prayer over you to remind you that God has not forgotten you. His word says he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And he's with us through thick and thin. I just want to pray over you that you may be buoyed with faith again to believe God. And so, Lord, I thank you for those that are tuning in. I ask that whatever pain it is that they're experiencing, whatever disenfranchisement they're having with you, whatever broken heart they have, Lord, I pray you be a healing ointment right where they are. Make them whole afresh. Draw them close to you afresh. Remind them of who you are afresh. And they be anchored in the fact that you are with them, you are near them, and you love them more than they could ever know. And I just pray that they will feel a surge of hope with whatever it is they're facing to know that you're a God who can do the miraculous, who can revive what's dead, who can bring something that seems so devoid of life back to fullness. And so I ask that you do that for each listener tuning in right now as they look to you, the author and the finisher of our faith. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, maybe you're joining us and you don't know this person that I referred to as Jesus. I talked about he lived a perfect life. He died an unjust death for your sin, for my sin. But it satisfied, satisfied the justice of God and now we get to have a relationship with him and there's not enough good deeds we can do to earn this relationship. There's not enough bad things you can do to feel like you're not worthy of this relationship. It's simply praying a prayer to receive Jesus as Lord. This is not about committing to our church or committing to a church which would be helpful this is about starting your relationship with the Lord. If that's you, I want to pray this prayer with you right now. Whether you're in your kitchen, your living room, your car, wherever you are, I want you to pray this prayer with me silently in your heart. And you may start your relationship with Jesus. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Change me. Wash away my sin that I may live for you, that I may walk with you from this day forward as Lord of my life. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you pray with me to receive Christ, I want to congratulate you. There's a prompting on the screen right now. I want you to follow that prompting. Get some information that we have for you that answers questions you may have right now and ways that you can really mature and really take the next step in your faith journey with Jesus after praying with us. We love you. Thank you for tuning in to the broadcast. I hope to see you soon. Enjoy the rest of your day.